I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Horse Hour. I'm Amy Stevenson. Now, today's episode is very different to what I normally do on Horse Hour. My guest is Jean Bauer, and I just want to give you a little bit of background about Jean. If you're in America, then you definitely would have heard of him. He's been on news channels such as CNN, NBC, ABC. He's been in Time Magazine, Los Angeles Times, The New York Times, and The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Jean's an activist, and he's also an author. He's known for his work in the animal rights and the food movement. He's actually been called the conscience of the food movement by Time magazine. And he's president and co-founder of Farm Sanctuary. Now, that won't mean anything unless you know the lengths that this man has gone to to oppose factory farming, to prove what's happened in the factory farming industry and to help re-educate us on other ways of doing things. I mean, he's fought against people. He's fought against the government. He's one of the most admirable activists I've ever met. It was a pleasure talking to him, but I do want to give you a word of warning that it was hard enough for me to interview him without getting emotional. It it was really, really tough. And I do want to warn you that if you do get upset easily or you don't like hearing about some of the stuff that goes on, then don't listen to this episode because... Jean has been there in the forefront of the factory farming slaughterhouses. And if you have any little ears around you, then I suggest they don't listen because Jean's very honest about what he saw, what he witnessed, and he does go into detail. So protect little ears. If you're easily upset like I am, then uh, maybe it's best you don't listen to this one. But if you can soldier on and, and have a listen, then I promise what Jean has to say is just mesmerizing. This is Horse Hour. Welcome to Horse Hour. I'm so excited to introduce to you a lovely man called Gene Bauer. He is the co-founder and president of Farm Sanctuary. And I can't believe we've got you on, Gene. How are you? I'm wonderful. It's so great to be with you. I, I look forward to speaking about animals and horses and how we relate to them and And yeah, so thank you very much for having me. Well, what you've done, it's like you've changed the face of the way that we look at animals and the way that we look at their being treated. And I was initially introduced 
introduced to you because I spoke to a lovely lady from Equus Film Festivals who was championing. There were a load of horses, there were hundreds over in America that were all being sent to the slaughterhouses and they got saved and then they were being auctioned off. And one of them was called Lily. Mm-hmm, and yeah. so your, your friend, John Stewart, adopted Lily. That's right. Yes. And how is he connected to Farm Sanctuary? Well, we are partnering with John and Tracy Stewart to open up our fourth sanctuary in New Jersey. We've been rescuing farm animals from cruelty since 1986, where we have literally found living animals thrown in trash cans or on piles of dead animals. Usually these are sheep or chickens or pigs or cows, but horses are also sometimes slaughtered and consumed. And we've spent a lot of time at stockyards in parts of Pennsylvania, and that's where Lily this horse had been sent and usually horses that go through this one facility are auctioned off and bought in many cases by slaughterhouses and then they're killed and eaten and our relationships with horses are different historically than our relationships with other animals who are seen as edible animals. And for for me, I've been a vegan since 1985, so from my standpoint all these animals deserve respect. But most people haven't had the opportunity to get to know a cow or a pig or a chicken, whereas many people have had the opportunity to spend time with and get to know a horse. And so horses are kind of a bridge species in a sense. And when people learn that these animals are also being killed and eaten, it gets them thinking, I think, more broadly about how we relate to other animals. And the same could be said of cats and dogs. In some places, they eat cats and dogs. Mm. And many of us in the West who learn about this are upset. But at the end of the day, all of these animals have feelings. They deserve to be treated with respect. And the Stewarts are partnering with Farm Sanctuary now. And the way that relationship started is that Tracy Stewart, John's wife, read my book when they were in a vacation rental house on the on the shore. And somebody had left a copy of my first book in that rental house. Wow. She picked it up and she read it. And so uh, we had, we got to meet about two or so years ago, two or three years ago now. And so I met Tracy and John. And at the time I had a new book coming out. So I said to John that I have a new book coming out. And John said, well, I have this show. And so I was, I was very fortunate to be a guest on The Daily Show with John Stewart in April of the last year he was on the show. And that really helped, I think, to propel our cause and get people thinking more about the fact that farm animals, like all animals, have feelings and they deserve respect. Well, it's interesting because you're speaking what we think. You know, I I often look at animals and think, oh, I don't want to know where it's come from. The thought of it, the thought of eating a breathing animal makes me feel physically sick. And and I don't know if it's an age thing or uh, being more educated or maybe being more informed, but I'm finding it harder as I'm getting older. (laughs) Well, well, you know, as we pay attention and we think about the consequences of our choices, I think most people want to be compassionate and don't want to cause unnecessary harm. And eating other animals causes harm. These are individuals who are in many cases treated very badly. Mm. um, And then they are killed at a very young age. And they're often killed in very violent ways. Well, I guess killing is inherently violent, even if it's done in the most humane way possible. The way these animals die is they have their throats cut and it's it's bloody and violent and it's it's bad for animals. Obviously, it's also bad for the people that work at these slaughterhouses. Could you imagine what it would be like to work in one of these slaughterhouses 
eight hours a day where all you're doing is cutting the throats of animals. It's mm. just a very violent job. And the, the good news is that we don't need to do that. And, you know, if we can live well without causing unnecessary harm, why wouldn't we? Is one of the messages I, I like to put out there. And everybody has to make their own choice. And we are creatures of habit. We grow up eating a certain way and living a certain way and assuming that other animals are there for certain purposes. But yeah. those are assumptions. And if you look at human history, there have been a number of times and still today where there are assumptions about our relationships with other animals or with other people. And this leads to prejudice, which leads to discrimination, which leads to violence and abuse. And in many cases, uh, denigrating and blaming the victim for the abuse of the powerful. And that's what's happening today with farm animals. They are denigrated. You know, being called a turkey, for example, is not a compliment. Yeah, you know? that's true. You know? yeah. so, so there's this sort of subtle thing that happens when we have a group, whether it's people or animals, who we are mistreating and abusing and victimizing. There's a psychological desire not to see them as worthy of our consideration. And that's sort of this massive thing that happens. And with farm animals, it's been happening for a long time. Mm -hmm. In the case of horses, you know, people have gotten to know horses and have a much stronger connection. So they're, they're not being denigrated in the same way. And their slaughter is more being hidden and described in a different way. And in fact, in the U.S., where many horses are going to slaughter, what the rationale has been is that if these animals don't go to slaughter, that they're going to be neg neglected and they're going to suffer and they're not going to be treated well. So it's framed in terms of animal welfare, yeah. but I don't think that's necessarily correct. I think fundamentally this is about our relationship with other animals and are they companions with us on this planet or are they commodities that are exploitable? That's the fundamental question. And I think when animals are seen as food, they're totally commodified and yeah. mistreated. And, and in the case of horses, that is, is starting to happen. They are commodified because, you know, people ride them and they use them and they have a job and they have a purpose. You can't ride a cow. You can't use it for something. And I mean that in the most respectful way, you know. Yeah. But very often I'm, I'm out in the, in the fields of the new forest and I'm seeing all these animals and I'm, and I can see them interacting with their calves and I can see them interacting with each other. And it makes you think they're not that thick. They're not thick. They have a brain. Yes, they do. And they have very deep emotional lives and they have relationships with other animals. And when calves are taken away from their mothers, for example, the mother will bellow, the calf will, will be traumatized. You know, these are individuals who deserve respect and treating them with respect is not only good for them, it's also good for us because I think it builds our empathy. It allows us to relate to others and to pay attention to others and to look into their eyes and know that they are living creatures and that we don't need to cause them harm. So, yeah, no, these are animals that deserve respect and, and that's something that they don't get. And, and when we treat them badly, we, we don't want to pay attention because we feel so bad about it when we think about it. And we forget about it. We block that section out. So yes. when you're eating meat and you bought from the supermarket, very few people go to the butchers anymore because they don't like to acknowledge what they're eating. So yes. I, I can't speak for anybody, everybody, obviously. I can only speak with a few few that, that I've spoken to. But being slaughtered over here is becoming much more well-known now. Again, in the New Forest, they have roundups twice a year. 
and the little ones are sold for as little as £20. And you know that if the, the runts of the litter, as they're called, if they don't get sold, you know where they're going. And there yeah. are people there just taking these horses to try and give them a life and to help so that they don't go to the slaughterhouse. Yeah. But you're right, it's unknown over here, a very, very hidden. Um, and, yeah. and it's the Americans, it's you guys that are educating us on what's really going on. So the PMU horses that are, you know, the ones that if then, oh, I can't even say it. It makes me feel <laughs> sick. It makes me so mad. But they're used for their urine to go right. into um, hormone replacement therapy. And the mares, once they've done their job, are then taken to the slaughterhouse. Right. Yes, they are seen just as commodities. Horrible. Yeah. And you think, so How? tell me, how did you start Farm Sanctuary from the beginning? Because you were a vegan for years. Yes. But at what point do you go from being a vegan to then saying, I'm actually going to save these animals? Well, I went vegan in 1985 and co-founded Farm Sanctuary in 1986 and felt it was important to see firsthand what was happening. So started going into stockyards and fa factory farms and slaughterhouses to document conditions. And we would find living animals literally thrown on piles of dead animals. So we started rescuing them. So our sanctuaries actually grew out of our investigations. And we, we, it was something concrete and positive we could do in the midst of this vast suffering that we were witnessing by going into these places. But are you and not, sorry, Jean, are you not furious with the people that are there, that are working? Did you, I don't think I would have been able to hold myself back. It's tough. It really is. And, you know, sometimes it would be, it is very difficult to go into that and, and to, to not lose it. And, Rescuing animals, though, helped in a sense to heal ourselves as well as healing the animals. And watching these individuals recover helped us to recover from what we were seeing. And so, you know, when you look at that vast horror of factory farming and animal slaughter, it's very difficult to, to deal with. And, and, and the way we dealt with it at Farm Sanctuary is to do something concrete, even though it's small, rescuing an individual animal, and then you focus on that positive thing you did and gain strength and encouragement from that. Um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of been the way I've dealt with it over the years. And at the same time, recognizing we need to deal with systemic issues. And, you know, we can rescue animals that are left for dead at a stockyard. We could try to relieve the suffering they experience in the system. But at the end of the day, we need to fundamentally recognize how we relate to these animals and ask ourselves, how do we want to relate to them and what is the best way? And for me, it's about trying to create mutually beneficial relationships, relationships where one group is not exploiting another group and not extracting life from another group, not extracting pregnant mare urine from another group, not extracting cow's milk, not extracting eggs, not looking at these other creatures as units of production, but instead looking at them as fellow earthlings and living with them in a way that is respectful. And doing that, I think, actually brings out the best of our humanity. You know, whereas when we look at them only as a commodity or as a piece of meat or as an egg producer, then we disrespect them. In the case of horses, the relationship is different. People ride horses. Mm -hmm. And so there's sort of a shared experience there. And in some cases, it can get over into exploitation, such as in horse racing, where horses are pushed very hard, or sometimes in parts of the U.S. they're still used for plowing, and sometimes they're pushed to their biological limits. So in some cases, these individual horses 
are treated badly and in a way that is not respectful towards them. Mm. But but it is also possible, perhaps, for people and horses to live together where maybe they would be ridden or maybe not. You know, in the vegan world, a lot of people say they should never be ridden. Really? Yeah, yeah, they do because, and in some cases it can be problematic, but in many cases it, it probably isn't problematic. So to me, it's a, you know, a horse who's being ridden can maybe be pushed too hard. And does the horse like it becomes the question. Mm. Is this in the horse's interest is another question. In the case of horse racing, if the horse in that, that whole industry, you have horses that don't make the grade and then are sent often to the slaughterhouse. Yeah, so this yeah. is a systemic problem with that industry. Mm. In the horse riding business, I don't honestly know enough about it, so I can't really comment with a lot of knowledge. But it, to me, it boils down to the relationship. And, yeah. and, and if it's a mutually respectful, mutually beneficial relationship, then I think that's good. You know, and that, that's my mindset on, on being vegan. The, the, the positives that have come out of the last 10 years, I guess, is with the racehorsing industry, we've now got racehorse rehabilitation. So mm. there's great charities, great people. Again, it's, it's coming up to the forefront of people are saying, okay, so all right, you haven't made it, but that doesn't mean to say you have to lose your life. You know, there are other things that you can have a good relationship. And the majority, I think, of the equestrian world want that relationship. And that's why they love riding, because they love the bond, they love the trust. Like, your dog will come home and he'll sit on your lap and he'll cuddle you and, and you have that relationship with him. Horse riding is, for me anyway, very much like that. It's a partnership. The yes. ones that abuse it and the ones that treat the horses badly and that beat the hell out of them and push them too hard. No, no, no. They're not. They shouldn't even be in the equestrian industry. Does that make sense? Yes, But I absolutely. still see a vegan's perspective of and question of, well, should they be ridden? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it really is a big question. And it's one that cannot be answered overnight. And mm. it's a systemic problem with regard to our longstanding exploitation of other animals, like say in the horse racing industry, for instance, that industry itself has inherent problems. And being able to take some refugees, in a sense, from that system, some horses that are not going to make the grade and giving them a good life is good for those refugees. But at the end of the day, we want to prevent the existence of you know, unwanted horses from that industry to begin with, you know, so, so there's this whole systemic issue that's a much bigger one and speaks to our relationship. And so rescuing victims of an abusive industry is a good thing. But at the end of the day, I think we need to challenge that industry and try to, you know, reform it so that it's ultimately not an abusive industry. And I don't know how that happens, honestly, with the horse racing industry, if there's any way that that could be made mutually beneficial with people and horses. But that, to me, is the fundamental question. Can it be mutually beneficial? In many ways, again, it's changed. I I do think we've come on a long way from where we used to be. And in many ways, you know, the races, you know, I still can't stand the fact they hit the horse. I can't bear that. But, you know, if we're going to compromise, it's only a few times. And that, I can't even believe, one, I'm even saying that, because that's insane. But a very a lovely man called Monty Roberts said to me a while ago, well, you've got to look at the positives, Amy, which is at least we're moving forward, which is better than where we were, we were previously. And a lot of race trainers that I've spoken to love their horses. They absolutely adore them. It's how far, I don't know, it's, you're making me question it so much. <laughs> it's, it's, now these are 
challenging questions, you know, and people do love their horses in many ways and they compete together, yeah. right? And it's possible that some horses like to compete. It is possible, you know, but it is also possible that they're I don't know if you heard about some of the horses recently in the U.S. during the day of the Preakness. There was one horse that had a race earlier in the day who won the race, was beaten pretty hard during the race, and shortly afterwards collapsed and died. No. Yeah, and it was a very tragic story. And, you know, how did that happen? I don't know. But it seems like that horse was ridden and pushed very hard and ultimately died because of it. And there was another horse who broke a leg and was destroyed and killed because of it. So, yeah, you see, I don't believe in that. They shouldn't be put down just because they've broken a leg. They should be. I was told to put my horse down because he had uh, his ligaments are wrapped around each other from before. And I said, no. I said, He's, he can live in a field and be happy just being He's my big dog. He can just be a yes. big horse. You know, yes, there's no reason. Yes. The second he does doesn't want to come near me is I'm doing everything wrong. He's supposed to want to be there. Absolutely. That to me is a, a key point that these animals want to do certain things and, and figuring out what they want to do and what they enjoy doing and how can we live with them in a way that is good for them and good for us. Because mm -hmm. I believe that that's ultimately the healthiest way for us to be on this planet is to live in a way where we are creating mutually beneficial relationships. And, you know, historically, the human relationship with other animals has not been mutually beneficial, just like mm. the human relationship you know, with certain groups and other groups has been exploitive. And, you know, this is something we it, it, but just because something has been done doesn't mean that it should continue to be done. Yes. And we are an ongo a, a species that is cultural and we evolve and we learn from our mistakes, uh, but we need to pay attention to and, and to, to the way we're behaving and the consequences of our, be of our behavior. And then ultimately make mindful choices that we can feel good about, you know, yeah. but it, it's hard. Change is hard. You know, if we have certain beliefs, changing those is, is challenging. In your ideal world, if everybody listened to you and, you know, we didn't eat meat, but what, what would you have in your ideal world? Would you, would you, would we, nobody eat meat and nobody ride and cause donkeys are used as well and mules are used and yeah. 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 Donkeys and mules are oftentimes worked very hard, mm -hmm. you know, as, as, as work animals. And I don't think that that's very kind. I don't think that's mutually beneficial. So in the ideal world, it would be something like the Garden of Eden, where you <laughs> had, you know, people and other animals living together in a peaceful place. Nobody had to be afraid of anybody else at least not a, a, afraid of human beings because we wouldn't kill other animals so they wouldn't have to run from us. I don't really know exactly what happens with the lions and the other carnivores, you know, <laughs> so that's something I haven't figured out yet. But, and, and we can't control other creatures or other people, honestly. We can only control ourselves. So in the ideal world, though, people wouldn't want to cause unnecessary harm, would want to have mutually beneficial relationships with others. In some cases, if the horse and the person wanted to, you know, ride together, you know, the horse might want to take the person somewhere. A friend of mine who's a vegan, longtime vegan, veterinarian, went to Cornell University uh, in upstate New York and during her veterinary school was at this stable and came upon this older horse who had never 
had not been out for a long time, had just been basically warehoused there. Mm. And this horse seemed very interested in getting out. So my friend actually got on this horse's back and this horse took her up this old trail that hadn't been ridden in years to this beautiful scene, beautiful views of the, the, the valleys. And so that horse, I believe, wanted to take my friend on this ride. Yeah. So that's the kind of example of a positive, mutually beneficial relationship that can exist between a horse and a rider even in that circumstance. Mm. But, you know, I think, you know, we need to look back. And this is a horse that was used to being ridden and probably used to going to these nice areas. And my friend was very slight of build, so it was not a heavy <laughs> load to carry. Mm -hmm. And so those are factors to consider when thinking about this horse and what this horse would have wanted. But, you know, what is our relationship with horses and other wild animals and domesticated animals and what is the intersection you know how many animals should we domesticate or not and these are big questions mm. and today we have domesticated many animals and i think because of that we are responsible for their well-being yes and, and how do we live with them in the future i think in some cases we would probably live with them as parts of our family you know human beings and dogs for example have lived together for a long time uh, human beings and horses i think have lived together for a long time mm. and it's possible also in a permaculture setting where horses could live with people and help do some of the farm work for instance you know not heavy farm work but you know good exercise plowing and helping to grow food mm -hmm. you know but again it has to be not overworked it has to be healthy for both the animal and the person so that may be possible i don't know but mm -hmm. but thinking about the future to me again I, I say it a lot but i really do believe the bottom line is to create mutually beneficial relationships and just as we move forward assessing each type of relationship we have with other animals and asking that question is this mutually beneficial and also asking that question in the short term, you know, and, and I see that sort of in a situation where we have a lot of industries that are exploiting animals and sort of human beings mistreating and commodifying other animals and in a sense creating these these refugees of that system. You know, the, the horses that are no longer profitable, for example, or, you know, other animals that are no longer useful. Yeah. And then we as charities come in and take the refugees and help them and do the best we can. And that's certainly in the benefit of those individuals who were able to help. Mm. But, you know, in the case of farm animals, we want to deal with the whole system. And ideally, we wouldn't be raising animals for slaughter. You know, we would be growing plants instead. That In that world, I see that as a, a very important direction to go. Because it's hard because you're fighting so many, like you said before, it's been happening for so many years, and you're fighting people with mindsets that are saying, well, you know, we're the lion of the group. The lion's eat me why shouldn't we what would you say to them i would say that lions are natural carnivores and that human beings are not natural carnivores we are primarily plant eaters if you look at us biologically we are omnivorous so we can survive on eating meat if we have to and in the over the course of history there may be maybe been times when humans have had to eat meat to survive in fact humans have eaten other humans to survive mm. when they've needed to 
But that's not the ideal scenario, in my opinion. I think the ideal scenario is for us to grow and eat plant foods instead of animal foods. I've been a vegan since for over 30 years, and I do quite well on it uh, physically. Well, let's be honest, for people that can't see, you're a good looking guy, you're very healthy, you know, you've got a lovely skin complexion, you've got hair, you, <laughs> you're you not like the old marketing ploys of, of, of you know, sorry, you've got a bit red That's now, I didn't mean to make you blush, but um, you're not like the old marketing ploys of your a vegan you're skinny and you're white and you look ill and if you're a meat eater you're strong and you, you've got big muscles it's like exactly exactly those are marketing ploys and those are myths in fact in fact it, some of the most athletic people have been vegans like carl lewis the u.s olympic track star who got gold medals did his best times on a vegan diet Really? Yes. So what, have, okay, sorry, tell me, a vegan diet, what would you eat? Well, I eat plants and no animals. So for protein, beans are great, and they're a very good source of protein. And they're also very affordable and economical. Mm -hmm. uh, whole grains, so rice or you know barley or just other whole grains, fruits and vegetables. Um, I'll often eat a large salad with arugula, which is actually a performance enhancer for athletes. In the last few years, and I'm in my 50s now, I've started doing marathons. So I've done six marathons. I've also done wow. a number of triathlons including an Ironman triathlon, which is where you swim 2.4 miles, you bike 112 miles, and then you run a marathon. Oh, so I gee. did that all on a vegan diet. And you, you also have other endurance athletes, people like Scott Jurek, who's an ultra marathoner, who's won the Spartathlon, which is like a 150-mile race in Greece, and he's a vegan. You have another uh, strong man named Patrick Babuyan, who's also a vegan. He broke a world record carrying more weight than any human had ever carried, and he's a vegan. So there are mm -hmm. these vegan athletes now that are really dispelling this myth that you need to eat animal foods. Mm. So just whole, whole plant foods, fruits, vegetables, uh, beans, whole grains, nuts, seeds. So it, it does come down to marketing then, doesn't it? And and how much people push towards, because another argument that, that I've heard recently is, well, what if there were no slaughterhouses? And what if the animals were killed in a really, really nice, happy, fairy-like way? Yeah. Um, ultimately, you're, you're still killing a, an animal to eat it, but that would be better. But I don't know, Jean, it's like um, <laughs> for someone that, because I don't, I hate eating meat. I do. I absolutely hate it. And I eat very, very little meat. And now I'm absolutely mortified speaking to you that I even eat meat. And I'd rather be able to sit here and say I don't. But I've got to be honest. I eat it because I'm told I need it. Right. That's what we're told. We're told we need it. Yeah. But, but in fact, we don't. And if you look at us biologically, um, if a human was naturally a carnivore, and if we saw an animal who was bleeding and injured and near death, we would start salivating because carnivores eat animals. But we don't generally salivate when we see no. a, a, an injured animal. I want right? to wrap it up and make <laughs> exactly. it okay and take it home and look after it. Right. And that's, I think, the human tendency, which is empathy and compassion and kindness. And that's the best of humanity. If you also look at us biologically, natural carnivores have a very short intestinal tract because meat is a pure. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Putrefying piece of flesh, and it has to pass through quickly. So carnivores have a short intestinal tract. Human beings have a very long intestinal tract. So it takes a long time for this meat to pass through us. Also, it has no fiber. So you end up with this putrefying flesh in our bodies for days, and that causes problems too. So there are biological issues, there are emotional issues, and that's why when people hear about factory farming and animal slaughter, so often people say, don't tell me, I don't want to know, because mm-hmm. it is so upsetting. And that's because people are compassionate. And, but we're told we have to do a certain thing. We're told we have to eat meat for health. In fact, we don't mm-hmm. have to. And so with regard to the lion, the lion might have to eat meat. And so they don't have a choice. With human beings, we have a choice. We can live well without eating meat or without drinking cow's milk. That's a whole other thing, you know. We're told you need to drink cow's milk in order to get calcium so you don't get osteoporosis. A much better source of calcium are leafy greens. Really? Yes. In in the U.S., we drink a lot of cow's milk. Mm. And we also get a lot of osteoporosis. So if drinking cow's milk prevented <laughs> osteoporosis, we shouldn't have it. So it's really looking at things as they are, looking at empirical reality and learning from it and paying attention to it and questioning some of our beliefs and assumptions and, and questioning some of the things we're told. You know, we were told, you know, that the earth was flat a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, you know? true, true. You know, we've been told many things over the years and it's, a, it's important to look at reality and make mindful, informed choices. So tell us the reality then, Gene. what really goes on? Oh gosh, when animals are raised for slaughter, they are treated horribly. They're put in small cages and crates where they can't turn around in some cases. They're driven mad emotionally. 
In the case of egg-laying hens, uh, they're put in cages and packed so tightly that they have parts of their beaks cut off that so they don't injure each other and peck mm. each other because of the aggression that results. Uh, in the case of chickens that are raised for meat, they have been genetically bred to grow twice as big and twice as fast as normal. So they die of heart attacks at a couple of weeks old because their hearts and their lungs cannot support this growth rate. But because they grow so fast, it is still profitable to the industry to lose millions every year of heart attacks at a young age. So these are animals that are too heavy for their bodies. They're, they become lame and they suffer for their whole lives because of this. So that's mm -hmm. another reality of animal agriculture and animal production for our consumption. And most people are, don't see this. And no. most people are unwittingly supporting it by buying these products. Well, now you're getting grass-fed butter which is where the butter is. I, I first heard the term and I went, what on earth is grass-fed butter? Butter can't eat. It's a, what? It's really, I just couldn't get it. But it's where the cows are fed grass and then they produce the butter. But I was thinking, I can't believe that they have to market the fact that cows are fed grass. You know, yeah. what on earth are they being fed? They're feeding these high energy concentrates to produce 10 times more milk than they would produce in nature in most cases. These cows are pushed beyond their biologic limits. And the other thing about the dairy industry, whether it's cow's milk or cheese or butter, is that for a cow to have milk, she has to have a calf. And the calf is taken away immediately after birth, whether it's for intensive production or for grass-fed production. So whatever the case is, you have mothers and babies separated so that that cow's milk can be taken and used for human purposes. So that's another entire issue that is inherent in dairy production that is not in front of us that we don't think about very much. Are there some farms that actually look after their animals and they produce certain type? Because at some point, someone must have had a farm and said, there's a hell of a load of money to be made from here. How can we make more money from what we've got? Well, what we'll do is we'll stick the cows in small little things. We'll take that. We'll stick them on a, on a sucker for milk constantly day in, day out. And then we can produce more milk. All right. They need seeing to those people because morally it's wrong. But there must be farm people out there that still look after their animals and don't slaughter them, but maybe for dairy, look after them and produce the milk. There are some that are better than others, for sure. And there are, you know, some farms that do want to treat their animals with respect. Mm. But the fundamental question is, is that animal a commodity or are they a companion? Is that mm. animal a friend or is that animal food? And that's a fundamental question. And farmers struggle with this. There was a farmer in upstate New York that I got to know a few years ago. And he was raising pigs. And they were outdoors. They were going into the forest. They were having as good a life as a pig could have. And he was selling them at a very high price because people wanted more humane raised animals. Mm. And people were looking up to him and saying, you are a wonderful farmer. We love what you're doing. You're so humane. And he started writing blogs about this because he was conflicted. And he said, people look up to me and say, I'm doing very humane things with animals. But if you really look at it, I'm a slaver and I'm a murderer. And he used those words. And so we started talking and he now is out of the pig business. He is a vegan. He couldn't keep doing it. And he had done it for about 10 years and he was mm -hmm. making money doing it. But he would look into these animals' eyes and he realized there was somebody there and he didn't want to cause this unnecessarily killing anymore. And 
So even if an animal is raised very humanely, it's certainly better than if an animal is put in a small crate. But when the animal ultimately is sent to a slaughterhouse to have their throat cut, that is something that is not good for the animal. And what this farmer told me is that even if the animal didn't feel anything, and even if the animal didn't know what was happening, and the animal had a good life, and then it was ended early so they could be eaten, even if that didn't hurt the animal, he said it hurt him. Hmm. And he didn't want to cause this harm to others anymore. And I think it's about empathy and it's about our relationship, our fundamental relationship with others. And are they our friends or are they our food? That's the fundamental question. And when it comes to horses, because many people know horses as friends, the idea that they would be killed and used for food is disturbing. Mm, it opposes us. Yeah. Yes. And at Farm Sanctuary, we live with cows and pigs and chickens mm. and turkeys who have been rescued from the factory farming industry. And we get to know them as our friends. And we have turkeys that will follow you around like puppy dogs. <laughs> and when you sit down in the pasture, they will jump on your lap. Really? Gosh, yes. we don't. I wish we could see this more. Yes. I wish we could see that relationship and then maybe our minds would change. Because like I said, it's not until I, I started seeing these animals and spending time with them that I realized that actually they are responding. They're responding yes. to each other. They're responding to me. And then that changes your thought process. So it's, you're, you, it's amazing what you're doing. And you allow people to come and spend time at Farm Sanctuary, don't you? Yes, we encourage people to come spend time at Farm Sanctuary and to get to know the animals and to look into the eyes of a pig. And, you know, pig's eyes are very much like people's eyes. You know, Winston Churchill said that a dog looks down on people, a, or I'm sorry, a cat looks down on people, a dog looks up to people, but a pig will look you straight in the eye. And I think that that's <laughs> kind of true. Pigs are very much like people. They're very smart. They're very individualistic. Mm. Uh, they have personalities. Some are more outgoing. Some are more shy. And they love belly rubs. So you go out to the pig barn and you touch a, the belly of a 500-pound pig and they'll flop over for a belly rub and they'll grunt and communicate that they're enjoying it. They're, so yeah. uh, we have sheep who love to be petted. So after you pet them for a while and you're ready to walk away, they will paw at you like a dog paws at a person and says, come on, please keep petting me. Wow. See, we've been told that they had no brain and they didn't know what was going on. And that's why, you know, we chase them with dogs to round them up. Your thoughts then, oh, I've got so many questions for you, Jean. Okay. First thought quickly on sheep. What about their usage for wool and for cotton? You know, again, I'll go back to the same question. Yeah. Are, are they our friends or are they our food? Are they companions or are they commodities? And in the case of the wool industry, they're primarily seen as production units and they are grazed and then their wool is taken. And when they're no longer profitable for wool, they're killed and sold for meat. So they're not the relationship there, in my view, is more exploitive than mutually beneficial. What if we missed off the bit where they were killed for meat? You know, it is conceivable that a person could live with sheep mm -hmm. and have a positive, mutually beneficial relationship where the sheep had good lives and they do need to be shorn. We share our sheep at Farm Sanctuary and then that wool could theoretically be used and that could be mutually beneficial, I think. Yeah. But there is sometimes a tendency in those kinds of relationships if the wool production becomes profitable, to start paying more attention to that and less to the well-being of the animals. Yes. So as long as it can remain as a mutually beneficial relationship, I don't see anything wrong with it ethically. Okay, next question then, just going on to what you were talking about living with animals and living with a turkey. 
A few years ago, Gordon Ramsay did this massive campaign about how he was buying animals, they were going to live with him, and then he was going to use them for food. Yeah. So for you, that must be horrific because he's actively saying, I'm going to buy this animal. Because his thoughts were, and yeah. I can't be quoted on this, so just is where you get it from the press. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thoughts that his thought process was that he needed to show that he'd be prepared to live with an animal and make sure that it was looked after before it was killed for meat. Yeah. I mean, I have mixed feelings about that. On the one hand, I think it's positive to take responsibility and to try to provide these animals with a good life and to be responsible for it instead of out of sight, out of mind. So mm. on that side, I think it's a good thing. But on the other side, it seems to me pretty strange that a person would get to know an individual and then would want to cut their throat, mm, you know, so that, yeah. so that's, you know, and, you know, so I, I wrestle with this because in the factory farming industry, you have workers who are also treated very badly and they're on the slaughterhouse line. And oftentimes these are people that are injured on the job. They don't have many other economic opportunities. So it's it, they're also abused, in my opinion, but they're just sort of going through killing one after the other repetitively and they'll kill thousands a day. So they're they're less connected to the individuals who they're killing. In the case of somebody who raises an animal, gets to know them, and then kills them, in some ways that's even more disturbing, really. Yeah. You know, so it's... It's, it's like it's, killing it's, a friend. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I think when I've spoken to farmers who have raised animals, they need to keep distance. They need to make, not give them a name. But if they do give them a name and then still kill them, it's, it's again, it, it creates <laughs> this, you know, you're killing a friend. And so, so I, 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 it's, I struggle with this, you know, I do. And I think for the individual animal to be treated better and then killed probably the way that Gordon Ramsay had them killed is probably less bad than an animal raised in a factory farm and killed in a mass slaughterhouse situation. Mm. But neither of them is good. Killing unnecessarily and causing violence unnecessarily, in my view, is something we should try to avoid if we can. So we're now hearing a lot more chefs in the celebrity worlds, in the TV world, saying, you know, you can you can eat vegetarian food and they're making vegetarian dishes. But yes. wouldn't it be awesome? I, there might be one out there. I, I've never seen them. That If there was a, a vegan chef that said, is there one? Oh, there's tons of vegan chefs all over the U.S. Yeah, there's vegan restaurants that are opening up. There's a chef named Tal Ronan who has a restaurant in California, in, in Hollywood, called Crossroads. And, you know, when I've been there, there's a paparazzi outside because there's all these celebrities going in to eat. Mm. There's uh, a chef in New York City named Chloe Coscarelli. And she has uh, these restaurants called By Chloe that are opening up and having celebrities come by. There's lines out the door. And this is an all-vegan restaurant. Uh, and I'm happy to say also that both Chloe and tall have recipes in my book living the farm sanctuary life it's got a hundred vegan recipes from those chefs and others who are vegan who have amazing restaurants so this is a very exciting time now in the u.s to be vegan because there are so many restaurants and chefs and celebrities now speaking about the benefits um in fact uh, beyonce has a vegan food service now does she? Yeah, but the, okay, this is me being quite cynical here, Jean. Yeah, yeah. Is this yeah, because you. they're jumping on the bandwagon of this is the new buzzword like they did for fur? And ultimately, again, it's another challenge and another mind battle, but ultimately, fur is now disgusting. People don't wear, very few people wear. It's actually better to be seen to be wearing a fake fur that looks like fur that costs a yeah. thousand pounds than it is to spend a thousand pounds on real fur. 
So ultimately, even if they are, I'm answering my own question now, I know, but even if they're jumping on the bandwagon of being vegan, vegan yeah, yeah. it will put us in the yes. right place, which is no, more people will know about being vegan. Well, I, th I think your points are exactly on, on target here, that they may be jumping on the bandwagon, which speaks to the fact that this is becoming a very popular movement. Yes. You know, but as you point out correctly, they may not have the full ethical picture here and mm. they're still promoting and using fur. So that is obviously not in the animal's best interest. And I agree the fur industry is repulsive. And I'm very happy to hear also that in the UK that there's this very strong anti-fur sentiment. Mm -hmm. In the US, it goes back and forth. In the US, in fact, fur comes and goes and it's sort of facing a, a new popularity again, I'm sorry to say. So that's a problem. So here, trends can just be trends and they yeah. can just be people doing things because it looks good. Well, who was that ridiculous woman that wore meat? Oh, Gaga. Oh, Lady Gaga. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that made me feel physically sick. Who wears meat on themselves to ever, but let alone to a show? So disturbing. I agree. I agree. And so that was to get attention. You know, so much of our celebrities in this country are about entertainment. Mm -hmm. In fact, so much of our media in this country is about entertainment, not so about journalism and information. And um, Lady Gaga wearing the meat played to that. And but also Lady Gaga recently sang a song about exploitation of women. Mm -hmm. And the woman who wrote that song, Diane Warren, is a supporter of Farm Sanctuary oh. and is a, a vegan advocate. So I'm hopeful that there will be some cross-pollination there, that Diane Warren will maybe influence Lady Gaga. And just because somebody wore meat, for example, at one time, perhaps to get attention uh, you know, for a particular event, they will maybe step back and think about what that means, think about the broader ramifications and the message they're sending, and whether they want to do that. Because... At the end of the day, these are living creatures, and to cut them up and put them on your body and flaunt that is, you know, what people used to do that with people, too. They would flay people and put their skins on, you know, mm -hmm. and people would do crazy stuff and put, you know, heads on stakes. You know, human beings over the course of our history have done some pretty brutal, violent things. And thankfully, we've now come around largely to say that's not acceptable. Yeah. But when it comes to animals... It is still, unfortunately, acceptable in many cases. And that's what we are challenging. We are encouraging people to evaluate and look at the way we treat other animals and ask ourselves whether it makes sense and whether we should continue this way. Just because we've done something for a long time does not mean that it's the right thing to continue doing. We've learned over the course of our history that things like slavery were institutions mm. that were not appropriate. And there's been moves to ban that. There are other things that we continue to do, including, I think, the vast exploitation of animals that we as a people need to come to terms with and think about and ultimately make choices that we can feel good about. And I think that means changing <laughs> and, and not eating them anymore. You do this very well, very carefully, because I don't think I could be as calm as you. So, you know, having the kind heart to be able to say to Lady Gaga, you know, OK, you made a mistake let's turn this around is way ahead of what we do which is how could you be so crazy you know <laughs> and you know we see the videos on the internet and you can't help but write a comment and say seriously what are you doing why are you beating that animal why are you doing this let's but actually your way is totally the best way because you're turning people's mind shifts around 
But what happens when you've been to a slaughterhouse, you've saved some of those animals, what happens to the slaughterhouse? Well, we tried to stop the system upstream as much as we can. Yeah. And, you know, and I think there are times when it makes sense to speak out and say, that's crazy. What are you doing? You know, so I think there are times when you need to do that, you know, but also recognize that sometimes screaming too much can put up walls. Mm. And I think at the end of the day, the goal is to touch people's hearts and to encourage people to live in alignment with their own empathy. And everybody, I think, has empathy. And it's finding that and building that and supporting that and also pointing out when people act in a way that is harmful, you know, but doing it in a way that doesn't create, you know, walls, but ultimately creates bridges. So but but there is a place to speak out and say that is wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, that's how institutions like slavery were ended. And it's important to have that that anger sometimes. But it, I think it's crazy not to have that anger sometimes when we see the horrible things happening. But how do we manage that anger and how do we use that anger to create sustainable change? And just yelling will sometimes cause the person we're yelling at to yell back and nobody will hear each other and there will be a big wall. And so I think the yelling is the beginning mm -hmm. and then looking at the person who is causing the harm and asking why are they doing it and then trying to figure out why they're doing it. It's usually not because they want to cause harm. They're usually doing it because they believe they have to do it for publicity in the yeah. case of a celebrity mm -hmm. or they may believe they have to do it for nutrition in the case of eating animals. And so these are beliefs that people have that are not necessarily correct. And if we can ask people just to look at these things, you know, carefully, I think most people want to live kindly. And I think everybody has a potential to change. And at Farm Sanctuary, we try to model a relationship with other animals that people will want to emulate to live and to run in the pasture and see cows kicking up their heels <laughs> yeah. is so much funner than Somebody, for example, working in a slaughterhouse where you're hurting them through these shoots, you're shocking them to make them move to the kill floor, and then you're violently restraining them and knocking them in the head and then cutting their throats. I mean, that is a violent existence for the people involved in it. And I believe most of those slaughterhouse workers would rather not do that, that they would rather instead be running in the pasture with these animals. It's just so much more pleasant for everybody. And I think all of us ultimately want to live that, would rather live that way. How many slaughterhouses are there, Jane? Oh, there are thousands. And there are some that are really big. that are some that are fairly small. In some cases, animals are killed on farms. So you have a wide range of different kinds of slaughterhouses. So the conditions vary. So some are much more industrialized and fast moving. And there are certain problems that come from that. Mm. Some are smaller. And there are other problems that come from that. Yeah. But in every case, there's, again, the fundamental question, who are these other animals and who are we? And who are we to kill them? Is that our entitlement? And just because we can do something doesn't mean that we should do something. Yeah. You know, I mean, that mentality has led us to do many bad things. And, and so we're talking about a fundamental re shaping of our relationships with other animals. Could you just talk me through you changing the law? Because didn't you work with government to help change the regulations, which is amazing? Yes, we have had some success passing laws here in the US 
to prevent some of the worst abuses that farm animals experience. Uh, for example, one of our longstanding campaigns has been to ban the sale of downed animals. These are animals that are too sick to walk to be slaughtered for human food. When Farm Sanctuary started in 1986, we would routinely see downed animals dragged onto trucks with chains or mm. pushed with forklifts to be taken to the kill floor so they could be killed and eaten by humans. So we started campaigning against this in the 1980s. Uh, we passed some laws in some states. We filed a lawsuit against the federal government arguing that this was inhumane and it was illegal. And we were finally able to win and for the U.S. Department of Agriculture to agree that downed cows should no longer be slaughtered and killed for human food. And that's a small victory in the grand, grand scheme of things, mm. but it's significant. And what I've learned is that our legislative process here in the U.S. is very much geared towards the moneyed interests. Oh, really? So, oh, gosh, yeah. You have, as they say, the best government money can buy. So one of our big challenges is we would have a bill introduced in Washington, D.C. It would re be referred to the Agriculture Committee, which is made up of lawmakers who are very friendly to the agribusiness industry. So we'd have our bill introduced. It would go to that committee, and those legislators would be very hostile to us, in mm -hmm. fact. So we actually had to sue the U.S. Department of Agriculture, go through the judicial branch instead of the legislative branch and the executive branch, and we were able ultimately to win that way. The way we've been able to pass some laws at the state level is through an initiative process, which allows the citizens to collect signatures to put a measure on a ballot for a popular vote. We did this in the states of Florida, Arizona, and California. And our legislation required that animals have at least enough space to turn around and stretch their limbs. So minimal. So you're not even asking for anything major. You're just saying no. give them a little bit more room. So minimal. Yeah. And in those three states, when the measure was on the ballot, citizens voted overwhelmingly to approve those. But we were able to do this because we took it to the people. But when in each of those states, we had also introduced a bill that went to the legislature. And it went to the Agriculture Committee in the state legislature, and they killed it in every No, every not again. Even with the ballots? Well, we, we did the legislation first, yeah. and we lost. So we took it to the ballot, right. and we won. Yes. So that stayed, stayed on the <laughs> – so those are the laws now. And we've been able to use that to pass laws in other states because we, we say we're going to do a ballot initiative – and then the state legislature says, no, don't do that. And they pass a law. Ah, so nice. <laughs> I yeah. like that. Play them at their own game. <laughs> yes, yes. So we've been able to do that in several states in the U.S. But many states do not have the ballot initiative. And many of those states are the biggest factory farming states. So what we've also done now is in California, after we pass this ballot initiative, for example, one of the provisions required that egg-laying chickens have at least enough space to stretch their wings. And after that ballot initiative passed in California, we supported legislation in California that was passed by the legislature to outlaw the sale of eggs from hens that are confined in a way that is illegal in California. Yeah. So now all egg producers in the U.S. or anywhere who are going to sell eggs in California had to comply with the California law. Amazing. Genius idea. And that has led to a massive shift in the marketplace, because now egg producers realize that California, which is a big market, mm -hmm. is not going to accept their eggs. So there's a change happening. And so this is now legislative and market driven.
So it's, it's small steps, small steps that small lead to step. the bigger picture, which yes. is ultimately we don't want slaughterhouses anymore. Ultimately, we need to treat other animals with respect. And I think that means that we don't kill them. Yes. So that would mean no slaughterhouses. I yes. agree. I yeah. agree. Thank you so much, Jean. It's been amazing talking to you. I could talk to you for hours. There's uh, so much. Um, so but I'm nice. really grateful. Thank you. No, I really appreciate it. How do we follow Farm Sanctuary? Obviously, we need to buy your book. We can get that yes. on Amazon. That's right. It's called Farm Sanctuary, uh, or it's called Living the Farm Sanctuary Life. Uh, my first book is called Farm Sanctuary, Changing Hearts and Minds About Animals and Food. They're both on Amazon. You can follow Farm Sanctuary at farmsanctuary.org. That's our website. We have a Facebook page. And I also have a Facebook page for Gene Bauer and a Twitter account. And Farm Sanctuary has those as well, and Instagram. So it's great for people to check all those out and, and tune in and see what we're doing. We will. We'll stay up to date and we'll tweet all of those on Horse Hour as well. Thank you so much. Good luck with everything. And then... Um, Hopefully we can catch up again maybe in a year when more legislation has been passed and we can, if you need us to get behind anything or to sign anything, our lot are amazing at getting involved with signing and signatures. I love that. And <laughs> it's been so fun to speak with you about these issues and to, to dig deep on it. You know, it's a, this is fundamental questions about who we are and how we relate to other creatures on the planet. So I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day, Jean. All right. Thanks a lot. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening. I said this one was going to be a tough one to listen to, but isn't he amazing? I mean, if we could only do half of the stuff that Gene's done in his life, then we could all really make a difference. I know that sounds really cheesy, but he just makes me motivated to just go and do more. And um, I think I could be a vegan now. I can't believe I'm hearing myself say that, but yeah, I think I could be a vegan. Next week, we're taking it up a gear. I want to introduce you to Debbie Romanis. She is so lovely. She's just come back from New Zealand. She worked over there as a soft tissue therapist at the London Olympics 2012. She was a team therapist for the New Zealand Paralympic team and also the World Equestrian Games 2014 in Normandy. Debbie's a physiotherapist. She looks at you as a whole, as a unit, as one, you and the horse. And she achieves this by drawing from the human and the equine sports therapy. She looks at injury rehabilitation, gait analysis, and rider biomechanics. So her belief is that you and your horse should be working as a partnership and how you interact together is going to make a difference to your well-being and to both of your health. And actually looking after your muscles is important and can actually can enhance your performance, both you and the horse. She's fascinating to talk to and I just love her. That's next week's episode of Horse Hour. Don't forget, you can contact me on Twitter. I'm at amystevenson1. You can follow Horse Hour at Horse Hour. And take a look at our website, horsehour.co.uk. There's packed full of information. I'll speak to you next week. You've been listening to Horse Hour. Join the community on Twitter, Mondays, 8pm UK time, 3pm Eastern, by using the hashtag HorseHour. Follow Amy at amystevenson1 and subscribe to us on Acast, iTunes, Stitcher and Player FM. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.